0: Hallelujah. Shalom, welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis one Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians, and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and related to Israel to give you a window to look through experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion@gmail.com at gmail.com and send along any questions, any comments about any topic, anytime. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end, where we're also going to share some exciting opportunities. And also, please feel free to share this with others who you know will also find it of interest. I'm very excited to uh, to to air today's episode because it's really going to be a mix of uh, some current events, some some uh, modern historical events relating to the history of Israel, and of course, biblical uh, biblical history as well. Our guest today is Pastor Trey Graham. He's an author, speaker, radio host, and the senior pastor of First Melissa in Texas. No less important, he's a member of the advisory board of the Genesis 123 Foundation. He earned a bachelor's degree in leadership from the United States Military Academy at West Point and a master's of divinity degree from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. After West Point, Pastor Trey served his country as a field artillery officer in the United States Army. Pastor Trey is the host of Faith Walk with Trey Graham and Smart Talk with Trey Graham, longtime radio shows heard on KWRD 100.7 FM in the Dallas Fort Worth area. He's hosted me on his program a number of times, and now it's really my pleasure to get to host him. He's also co uh, co hosted an in depth study of the weekly Torah portion from a Jewish and Christian perspective with Rabbi Dove Lippman on the Lone Star podcast uh, network. And Pastor Trey, combines his great radio voice and passion for football, announcing the radio play-by-play for the Melissa Cardinals, a local high school team. Pastor Trey is the founder and teacher for Israel by the Book, a Christian ministry dedicated to Israel and the Book. Its Its mission is to bless the people and the land of Israel by studying and following the teachings of the Book, God's Word. Israel by the Book sponsors multiple unique Bible study tours of the Holy Land each year, the next trip is scheduled for this September, and I encourage you to get information at IsraelByTheBook.com. Pastor Trey and his wife, Bretta, have six amazing children, and they travel to Israel frequently. Mm-hmm. On a personal note, Pastor Trey and I hit it off the day we met. I never forget it. And I've been blessed to have him on the board of the Genesis One Two Three Foundation. Blessed and grateful. He's bright and articulate, and you'll see that, but he's also a critical thinker devoted to the mission of building bridges between Jews and Christians, and someone for for whom I have the greatest respect, and from whom I have learned a tremendous amount. Pastor Trey, it is wonderful to have you on Inspiration from Zion. Welcome.
1: Thank you, my friend. Great to talk to you.
0: Me too. So I want to start off somewhat generically with a wide lens Our listeners will remember that I'm still recovering from COVID, so excuse the coughing in the background, um, but somewhat somewhat generically, uh, from you on a personal perspective, and then get into what we're talking about historically and biblically um, at, the, at this season. At what point in your life did you connect the significance of Israel to your faith as a Christian?
1: Well, as a follower of Jesus and a student of the Bible, Israel is always always there, it's always present. But it became forefront in my life in 2008, when a member of my congregation gave me a gift of a trip to Israel. So my first ever visit to the land was in 2008. And so for 14 years, my eyes have been opened, my life has been different. I often tell people that when the Birth dates of all six kids came. When that child was born, I met someone new and I fell in love. Well, my first trip to Israel, I met someone new. I fell in love. And for my wife and me and for my kids, who've now many of them grown up in this journey, it's never been the same.
0: Wow. You know, I think I knew that, but I forgot it. And it's, it's really stirring. I hope everyone else, my, my heart went racing as you're talking about That immediate love, like meeting your children. What a profound comment. Was there something specific? Well, first of all, before even talking about that, was Israel on your radar before 2008?
1: Yes, but not on the front of my radar, if you want to use that mixed metaphor there. Yes, again, if you study your Bible and you're honest about your Bible, it's about Jewish people in the Jewish land. And our Savior as a Christian is a Jewish man, Jesus, a yes. Nazareth. But you see it more clearly when you're looking for it and when you understand it. And what I've been able to do here, and you've been to our church, I don't think you've been to a church service, but church services here in our church in Texas We bring Israel to Texas, every sermon has maps and drawings and paintings and charts and timelines and photographs, trying to teach what the Bible passage is saying visually. So we bring a lot of people to Israel, but we also bring Israel to Texas.
0: So that's amazing. You've shared with me PDFs of some of your teachings before, and, and they're great. I mean, I really encourage people to check out your website, IsraelByTheBook.com. And, and if they're looking for a trip to Israel, if it's not coming with Run for Zion um, in March of 23, uh, uh, Pastor Trey leads an amazing trip because it's critical. It's, it's really an in-depth. It's not just a simple uh, um, b- b- biblical site to biblical site on and off a bus where you don't really interact. And it's one of the things I admire about you. Um, can you explain what changed in your faith being here? I don't know that
1: change is the right word. I think deepened is the right deepened. word. Good. Eye-opener. Anything that you only hear about or read about, it's deepened when you experience it firsthand. And yes. all the cleavage about touring Israel that are not original to me, but they're all true. <laughs> the, the, the Bible goes from black and white to color. It goes from 2D to 3D. All those cliches are true for all the people that go on my trips with me. They're true for me personally when I first went there. But I think you making Aliyah, you would have even said the same thing. It's just a deeper, richer experience As a Jew in America, you knew about Israel, of course, but being there just totally opens the doors to new learning.
0: Well, it's funny you say that. Yesterday I had the fun privilege. I know how important your family is uh, to you and and your great analogy about just being in love with Israel like one of your children. Uh, But yesterday I had the privilege of taking my two grandsons to uh, the park, and I'm sitting there watching them play. And I just had this sudden realization of something as amazing as a grandfather taking his grandsons to a park. It's the fulfillment of Zechariah. I mean, yeah. it's, it, and it's right there in my face. Children are playing in the street. Wow. Yes. So profound. And, and honestly, and, and I know, you know, this too, you're here often enough that a lot of the stuff that, that happens here becomes very rope. But when we have that momentary opportunity to pull back and widen the lens And realize that profound how how how, you're you're right how it deepens that connection. It's really awesome. Okay, so mentioned
1: my friend Dove Lippman. Yeah, he says that he remembers making Aliyah with his family, moving there. They live in Bet Shemesh, and he remembers sitting with his kids and opening the Bible to the mention of Bet Shemesh in the Scripture Uh. and saying, "This is our hometown now."
0: Yeah, that's an yeah. amazing thought. Well, funny actually, the the anniversary of my mother's death is coming up, uh, which is not funny but ironic. And I remember speaking at her funeral, talking about how she lived to see the fulfillment of prophecy because we live in Ephrat. and yeah. her her Hebrew name was Rachel Leah or Leah. And as the as the blessing from Boa uh, to Boaz goes. Um, in the book of Ruth, is that 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 you Boaz and your office should prosper uh, in En-ephrath and and build up Israel like Rachel and and Leah? And I'm like, wow, that was a, that was something that hit me just just before her death. Uh, so it, it, it does it deepens it really does deepen. But let go ahead. Well,
1: I think this is something that the conversation we're having right now is illustrative of your mission, that Israel can deepen the faith of a Jewish person like yourself who makes Aliyah, but for those of us American Christians or followers of Jesus around the world, the land of Israel has the same power, the same significance, and that's why we're both doing what we do.
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent, and completely, completely agree. Okay, so I, you're right. I've never been to a service in your church. I and I'm not at a 101 level, but let's assume for a moment someone hears this and drives from wherever to Melissa, Texas, and shows up on on a Sunday morning. What's what? I mean, if you if you had a whole church full of people who just don't understand the connection and want to come to first Melissa and here Pastor Trey, what's the first scripture that comes to mind that you're going to teach?
1: Well, I teach the scriptures every service, every week. I'll just tell you about yesterday. Yesterday, we're walking through a series of the book of Daniel. And so it was Daniel chapter 10 yesterday. And Daniel 10, for those of you who may not have read it recently, it's all about his burden that the people of Israel who had been taken captive to Babylon Over 90% of them did not go home, did not go back to Israel when they had the chance. And so we talked about, why would you not? You've been praying for the door to be opened. And then when the door is open, why don't you go? And we went through a lot of what you would call pretty good reasons. I'm an old man. (laughs) It's too hard of a journey. It may not be safe there. Can I afford to go there? I've got a good job and a nice house in Babylon. There's a lot of reasons why, but maybe the saddest reason why is maybe your faith is not that strong. Maybe your love for the Bible and the land is not as strong as you thought it was when you had to make a choice. So that's just one example of what we do every week is we study the scriptures. We try to figure out how it impacts who we are and what we do. And this is a Bible teaching church. And if you don't want a lot of Bible and some Greek and some <laughs> Hebrew and a bunch of maps and charts, if you don't want to learn the Bible, this probably isn't the place for you.
0: Well, this is for another conversation, maybe offline, but when you say this is a Bible teaching church to this Orthodox Jew, that sounds like it at least ought to be redundant. I mean, I would think. Well, that Well, churches...
1: I, I wish it were more so. Uh, I think we are... Um, Thankfully, on the far end of that scale, you know, I think, but your listeners don't know, every Tuesday morning, we study the Torah portion. We call it Torah Tuesday. And 7 a.m. every Tuesday, there's a whole bunch of Gentile Texas followers of Jesus studying the weekly Torah portion. Incredible. So that's just an example of we want to know this stuff. And when you're studying it, Israel and Judaism and the Jewish Heritage of our faith right. repeatedly jumps out at you,
0: hundred percent, and
1: that's why you you do yourself a disservice when you don't focus on it.
0: We could spend a number of hours together on any number of topics. I want to use the fact that we're speaking and this this episode is coming out in March of two thousand twenty two to talk about May. Oh yeah, that's what I meant. May it's a little <laughs> COVID brain. May thank you. May of two thousand twenty two. Um, to, to focus a little bit, and we'll talk about why for listeners who don't know, but looking at the history of modern Israel. Um, w- now, when you come here, and when you, or, or I, e- even more importantly, when you bring groups here, what do you want them to see the most that connects them to scripture? I promise our
1: travelers that they're going to learn ancient Israel and modern Israel. Ancient Israel is your Bible. It's seeing these places that you've read about, that you have a picture in your mind. Valley of Elah is a great example. Everybody's learned the Goliath story. But until you walk it, and I show you this side was the Philistines and this side was the Israelites, you're going to learn ancient Israel. You're going to learn Bible when you walk in those places. But I also want you to learn modern Israel, because I I fear that some American Christians have this underlying sense that Israel stopped when the Bible stopped. And they forget that it is a modern nation with modern issues, traffic and pollution and education and politics and living in a bad neighborhood surrounded by people who don't like them. I want them to learn the modern side of things. And that's why introducing them to friends like you, and we've mentioned Dove Littman and so many others, introducing them to my Israeli friends brings that modern side to the story.
0: That's awesome. You you mentioned the Valley of Elah, the Elah Valley um, here where David fought Goliath. And actually when I was on my recent trip, correct, in March of 22, a friend asked me if I would bring him a rock from there. And he was disappointed because it wasn't smooth. And I looked I at him. I took them all. I took five <laughs> of did, them.
1: You, you I, took them yes, all. Yes.
0: But what's interesting is that it, 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 the, the the scripture. What is it in Second Kings? Is yeah, I think right. Uh, okay. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm
1: good. I, I, the story. Uh, yeah.
0: You're you're you're, you're you're the pastor. So as you're looking it up, yeah. what's fascinating is it talks about David taking the stones out of the out of the river, the water, and there's no more water there. And hasn't been for, I don't know how long. So that was my rationalization why the rock was just a regular rock. But have you ever explored that?
1: Why it was just a regular rock? Well, the um, it's what you call in Arabic, as you know better than I, a Wadi, It's a dry riverbed. So it has water sometimes during the year in the rainy yes. season. It's dry the rest of the season. So it's a riverbed. And as you go there and visit you naturally bring home a rock from there. And I told you I brought home five for two reasons. One, David picked up five stones, Yes, but I have four sons. And so the four sons and I, all the men of the family, if you will, even though they're young, I wanted them to to know that we're trying to be a man of God like David. And so they each got a smooth stone. And so you talk about the story of David and Goliath, and that is the, the great example of seeing a story that you've heard about, but comes to reality. And that, that cliche about black and white to color and all of those things that we just discussed, when you are able to see the valley in between the two hillsides, and then you read the scriptures together 1 Samuel 17 is is what you were looking for, I think, a minute ago. First. And okay. when you're when you're able to see those places, it reassures you and gives you confidence that this part of the Bible is true because I can see it. Yes. Therefore, I can trust other parts of the Bible too. Excellence. Because I see it really tells a true story when I walked that place.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for that. I want to take a break, but that's a fantastic jumping off point to where I want to go in just a moment. Stay tuned. In addition to inspiration from Zion, another Genesis one, two, three foundation program run for Zion is the first program uniquely for Christians centered around the Jerusalem marathon, creating meaningful and lasting experiences. We look forward to having you be able to join us in person soon, but now are offering you a way to connect from wherever you are in the world through virtual tours, webinars, and briefings. For information or to register, please go to runforzion.com. Join Run for Zion and bless Israel with every step. Okay, so Pastor Trey, you corrected me wrong. You corrected me when I was wrong before about which month it is. We're in May of 2022. The the, the secular Gregorian calendar overlays the biblical calendar, sometimes conveniently and sometimes less conveniently. But this month, there's a a lot to do with the modern history of Israel. We're speaking in the midst of several dates in the month of May, if we just speak about May, in the biblical calendar and the secular calendar uh, regarding the restoration of Jewish sovereignty here in the land of Israel. Last week, we celebrated Yom Hatzma'ot, Israel Independence Day, 74 years which coincides to the uh, fifth of the Hebrew month of E.R., on which Israel declared independence in in 1948. Um, That date corresponded, corresponds still, with May 14th that year on the secular calendar. This year, well, this year and every year, our Palestinian Arab neighbors and other enemies refer to the establishment of Israel as the Nakba, the catastrophe, um, which, which tends to, speak on a national level, but also to undermine Israel's very existence. Later in the month, and it happens that if this falls out in the month, we're celebrating on May uh, May 29th, Jerusalem Day, Yom Yerushalayim, which is the day on the biblical calendar that corresponds with the day in 1967 in the Six-Day War when Israel reunified all of Jerusalem that had been previously occupied by Jordan since 1948. The Palestinian Arabs and our enemies have a name for that, they call it the Naxa, the, the, the setback. Um, is there any way, and let's, I, I know theologically, but I wanna explore deeply because you understand the narrative. Is there any way that you can see or, or begin to understand the, uh, the the declaration of Israel's rebirth as anything like a catastrophe?
1: Well, it's a blessing, it's a fulfillment of prophecy, it's a gift from the Lord it's only a catastrophe if you are opposed to the things of the Lord. If you're trying to say the Bible is not true or God did not make a covenant with a specific people about a specific land and then you see that fulfilled, it's a catastrophe to your theology because you are being disproven.
0: Okay, that's, that's excellent. And so for people who believe that Abraham brought his son Ishmael to sacrifice him, that would be kind of to use to borrow the people, uh, the, 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 the book, the, the land in the book, that would sort of be out, out of the lines of the book, wouldn't it?
1: Well, we know that the Quran does say that Abraham went to the mountain to sacrifice his son, but the Quran says that he offered Ishmael as a sacrifice, right? right. as opposed to the biblical story, which I believe to be the true story that he offered Isaac. And the Jewish people's heritage goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And God made a promise to all three of those patriarchs. He kept repeating the promise that I will give this people to, or this land to your people. And he repeated it to the patriarchs, every one of those generations. And for 1900 years, your people though always with a small remnant in the land, we're not the sovereign over the land. We're not the controller of the land. Until May 14th of 48, that secular date that you're talking about, when Israel's independence was declared and the state was founded. And all those people who for centuries said, see, God didn't keep his promise or God couldn't keep his promise. That had to be retracted. And for some, that was a day to rejoice. But if you're trying to disprove the biblical narrative, I guess you would call it a catastrophe, because one of your argument points just got eliminated. And I often tell our church that the state of Israel was founded in May of 1948. When my dad was born, there was no state of Israel. My dad was born before May of 48. So maybe that generation of Christians or Jews or even non-believers would have said, see, God doesn't keep his promise, but now he did. And that's what the celebration on the positive side, the celebratory side of the importance of the day is because it's another on the checklist. God kept another promise.
0: It's it's interesting you said that because, and you talked about the Ella Valley as one of these other ways of verifying the, the, the biblical, biblical accounts, biblical veracity. Uh, but I was with a pastor who's a, probably a, a generation and a half older than you and I uh, once. And I said, how did you become this big Christian Zionist uh, that you are? He said, speaking of his father, I remember sitting at the kitchen table that day when Israel declared independence with my father and my father held his Bible and said, this proves the Bible is true.
1: Yes, I believe that as a historian today, of course, I wasn't born in 48, you weren't born in 48, so we didn't live that, so that's a historical fact for us. What I think is even more exciting is we're seeing biblical prophecy being fulfilled every single day in our lifetimes,
0: so we don't have to point just to 48, we can point to last week. Good. So, so talk about that for a minute. I mentioned this fabulous realization with the privilege of taking my grandchildren to the park. Talk about that. Again, for someone who's attending your church for the first time and doesn't really understand, what are, what are those prophecies? How do we know? What, what's actually happening here that's prophetic?
1: Well, there's dozens of them, but you talk about prophecies from Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. God said, I would bring my people back. We talk about Zechariah, you said children playing in the streets, Zechariah chapter eight. You see the desire for Torah study even among non-Jews. I'm told that there's more Torah study being done by Jews in Israel today than ever before, numerically speaking. Correct. So there's a there's a opening of the heart to the study of Torah among Jews that's greater than ever but it's true for Christians Gentiles greater than ever we're experiencing that you see the promises and the prophecies that the deserts would bloom yes and i'm told that israel exports flowers to holland okay as amazing as that concept is that god would take a land that mark twain famously talked about in the 1860s as desolate as nobody would want to live here. He said you could go days without seeing another person. And we just read in Leviticus, in the most recent Torah portions, that if you are an abomination to the Lord, the land will spit you out. Correct. And the land is connected to the people. And as the people have returned, the land has returned. Our friend, another good friend of mine, Jeremy Gimpel and Ari Abramowitz that are building Arugot farm is a beautiful example of the land which sat desolate for generations is being revitalized because god said to come back and when you take that step of obedience then you take the next step which is what we're going to plant vineyards or we're going to plant fruit trees or we're going to have sheep or all the things that that they're doing there you see these prophecies being fulfilled. You see the, the knowledge of the scriptures going around the world. You see technology that's being developed in Israel go around the world. And you see the calling of God to say, I made these promises. I keep my promises. Are you going to believe me?
0: Wow. And, and, and the promises are here. I mean, you can see, we, we, we see them. It's not, it's not, someone speaking rhetorically. This is actually happening now live in front of our eyes.
1: Well, you know, to put you on the spot, you made Aliyah, you and your family, you left America, and you fulfilled part of that promise. When God said, I would bring my people from the north, the south, the east, and the west, you, as cool as it is, you are part (laughs) of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. When we first made Aliyah, that summer, 18 years ago, we went out shopping and my wife came out of a store in Jerusalem. I said, what is all that? She said, we have to support the Israeli economy. And I said to her, you're speaking like a diaspora Jew now. We are the Israeli economy, <laughs> yeah, but yes. Yeah. And you know what, and even that, even paying the high taxes that we do, um, that, that even is a blessing because we get to do it here. We get to do it here in the land. You know, it's funny when you mentioned exporting flowers, we export a lot of produce, I'm told that that our wheat is at a very high quality. So most of that is exported um, as well. But it also means that we're basically exporting water, right? Because none of that stuff grows without water. And that the and the water.
1: system is, is famously developed there and it's changed right. lives all over Africa. You mentioned another prophecy I think of is Zephaniah, uh, Zephaniah uh, chapter three, verse nine, the Lord said, I will give to the people's pure lips, okay, which a lot of people interpret to be unified speech, the yeah. revitalization of the Hebrew language, Eliezer ben Yehuda in the late 1800s. What a miracle story that is, and your Hebrew is That's better true. than mine, but I'm trying to learn my Hebrew, and I with <laughs> you a little bit in Hebrew. It's not very good quality, but we're all going to speak Hebrew in heaven it appears so we might as well start learning it now and the revitalization of this language and this culture is part of God's fulfillment another lesson I was taught there's no example of a people group leaving their homeland and ever coming back to resettle if they've been gone for more than 200 years that seems to be the marker in history okay if a people group has been gone from their original homeland for more than 200 years. There's no evidence of them ever coming back. They settle down, they intermarry, all of those reasons, except one example the Jews coming back to the land of Israel after 1900 correct. years.
0: That's correct. That's correct. And well, 1900 years was the last uh, expulsion, but you mentioned correctly that 90% of the Jews didn't come back from the first. From yes. the first one, and our right. tradition is that even even when uh, we we left Egypt, eighty uh, percent of the Jews were so intermarried that they didn't come. So we've always been this, always a remnant coming back. Um, yes. It's it's really quite astounding. Um, let, let let's focus on Jerusalem specifically. The end of the month. I'm, I I have a a little bit of a pessimist gene in me, so I'm I'm scarily looking. For forward not looking forward but looking toward our enemies using that as another excuse as they did a year ago on jerusalem day to start launching rockets at us but we 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 were both alive in 1967 but don't have that historic memory vividly but but you weren't alive you weren't you weren't (laughs) not
1: not yet not in 67
0: all right well i was i was what three (laughs) um but i don't remember it but today we have these great, you, you can close your eyes and you can picture um, Rabbi Gorin blowing, blowing uh, the shofar at the Western wall. You can picture the paratroopers in battle and, and, and capturing the temple mound. And, and, and we know the story. You haven't been to my house yet, but I can't wait for you to come because we live on the top floor of a seven story apartment building. And I joke with people who understand the history that this would have been an amazing advantage point to watch the unfolding of the six day war. Because yes, like when I was sitting on my balcony yesterday we could clearly see with the naked eye, the golden dome. And you could see where Jordanian troops were and you can see where the Israeli troops were. And if you stand on the top of my building and look at the West, you could see where heavy battles took place right here in our neighborhood. But that that reunification of Jerusalem 1967 was really miraculous uh, that it took place so fast that the that the Israelis Warned King uh, King of uh, King Hussein, don't attack, and we won't attack you. And he still attacked. What's the significance for you that you that for you personally, and that you teach to others about that moment about the reunification of Jerusalem?
1: It's another sign where God said, "I'm going to make a promise, and I'm going to keep a promise." And the significance of Jerusalem cannot be overstated. And I was teaching Daniel chapter 10 yesterday that I mentioned to you already, but part of that was a reference to Psalm 137, where it says, we were by the rivers of Babylon and we were weeping. That's Ah. how Psalm 137 begins. And it's related to the story that so many did not go back, even though they had longed to go back. And so there's been a longing to go to Jerusalem for the Jews who are in exile for centuries. You know better than I, at the end of Passover, at the end (laughs) of the meal, you say, next year in Jerusalem. Even if you're in Jerusalem. Even if you're in Jerusalem, which is a crazy thought. And (laughs) I haven't been to your house, but I've been to Ephrat many times. And yes, you can see this place and you can see where all the battles took place. And the Jews of that generation, could have, I suppose, said, it's okay, we'll accept the division of our city, our holy city. But when you stand on places like Mount Scopus and you look over the city, this is where I take, take our groups and you say, words matter. Listen to the words of the UN or even a lot of American administrations. And they say, just give East Jerusalem to the Palestinians and West Jerusalem to the Jews And it sounds so nice, and it sounds like everybody ought to just get along until you understand (laughs) what their definitions mean. That East Jerusalem, that's all the holy sites. That's the Kotel, the Western Wall. That's the old city. That's Mount of Olives. That's everything biblically. And you say, give the Jews West Jerusalem. Well, that's nice, but that's a new suburb with with a ramada on it. That's not the (laughs) biblical side of the city. And so when you try to divide a holy city, you're never going to be able to adhere to biblical truth. God warned about those who would divide my land, and he would punish those who try to divide his land, and that's what he has done, and the Bible mentions Jerusalem more than 700 times. Right. Right. Jerusalem is mentioned with 70 different names. Right. The city of gold, the city of God, Ir ha Elohim, it's 70 different names. The Quran mentions Jerusalem exactly 0 times. Right. And so just from a biblically and historically accurate perspective to say that this is the homeland to two peoples, it's not historically correct. Unless you are trying to replace And this is not the time for replacement theology discussion, but there's a lot of replacement theology being done by the Arab and Muslim side to say there was never a temple here and this is only a Muslim holy site. It's just not factually correct and it's not biblically correct. And those of us who are lovers of the Bible
0: should say so. So let me, that's a a very powerful statement that I know I'm going to want to rewind and listen to, but you you prefaced something before about listening to the UN and just give East Jerusalem to to the Arabs. So, you know, I mean, I don't disagree with the word that you said, but then again, I'm living here and we all desperately yearn for peace. Now I want to put you, let's put you as one of the 120 members, instead of pastor at First Melissa, you're now a Knesset member. Pick whatever party you want, I don't care. And and you get to be making decisions. You you're One of the things that I especially like and admire about you is yeah, everything's biblical, but you understand the history, the modern history, and, and you interweave that with, with everything. So we're sitting here, 74 years after the establishment of the state, uh, 60 plus years, uh, 50 plus years since the establishment of oh my, they they were actually born the same day as I was, the PLO. So when when the whole Palestinian narrative um, began, uh, obviously younger than the than the state, and and you said you you use the kind of uh, I know I know I'm going to be judgmental, so I don't mean to 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 lead you, but the sort of the silly notion that if we just give up land, there'll be peace. And I think maybe that was a legitimate thought to have in the 1960s, because we had so badly conquered them that naturally they couldn't imagine that they didn't, that, I think the Israeli leaders at the time couldn't imagine that the Arabs hated us so much that we that they looked at us with no legitimacy here but I think that's pretty clear. Can you see any let, let's take the Bible out of it for a minute? Any formula where a land for peace arrangement with our neighbors is actually going to possibly work?
1: Well, there's a whole lot of people smarter than me who will tell you it hasn't worked yet. Okay. So why is it gonna work the next time? Okay. And another one of those cliches that I've learned they 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 say we want land for peace and then we want another peace yes so it has not worked yet and with all due respect to my good friend Jonathan you say take the bible out of it well i can't <laughs> okay? i can't do that okay. and so you say i'm a ma- now magically a Knesset member and how are you going to vote on this you have to understand current events and security situations and How are you going to keep people safe and all of those things? But you can't take the Bible out of it. And if you try to take the Bible out of it, I still think the argument is strong. I'm reminded of Caroline Glick's book, The Israel Solution, or The the Israeli Solution. She calls it a one-state plan for peace in the Middle East. There's not many people I know smarter than Caroline Glick. And she goes through the biblical support for a one state solution to Israel, but she goes through all the political and security things and the, the demography is always used. You know, if you annex Judea and Samaria, then there'll be more Arabs than Jews (laughs) demographically. And she does a very good job in that book of debunking that theory. Nora Mettinger or Yoram Ettinger, that's his current, uh, push is to try to debunk the demographic claims because they're not so certain they can um, trust the census taken by the Palestinian Authority. So security, politics, of course, Bible, and simple truth and history, I don't think you can argue against Israel being sovereign in its land. And I know it's too simplistic, and I'm not smart enough to To explain how that's going to happen, I defer to Caroline Glick and others that can try to solve that riddle better than I can. But to make the, or I should call it, continue the effort to divide the land and hope God will bless that when he very clearly... Calls for judgment on those who try to divide my land, I think is a bad move.
0: Well, well and I'm said. not
1: in a position of authority to to make those decisions. I'm the outsider who loves the place and doesn't want the division to continue.
0: Well, you, you articulated that very well, and with deference to many of our current Knesset members, um, by doing so, I would argue that you you said you're not smart. You're not the smartest person. Um, I, would, I would put you high, higher than certainly some of the uh, current 120, but th- that, that's important. And I love that I asked you to, t- to take out the Bible and how you came, came back. Thank you for that. I want to pause on the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean Mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill, they are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us.
1: And, and I, I'd like to make a point, if you would allow me. Yeah. I tell our church and I tell our tour group members, we don't hate people. We hate ideologies. So we don't hate Arab people. We don't hate Muslim people. We hate ideologies. And that's true in American politics and what the Supreme Court's debating right now. We don't hate people. We hate ideology. And an ideology that says that the unborn life is not valuable is an ideology that I don't support. But I don't hate people who carry that ideology, okay? The, the neighbors of Israel who say the Jews have no rightful place there, they have no history there, that the Bible's not trustworthy, that there was never a Jewish temple on Mount Moriah, that's an ideology that I cannot agree with right. and don't agree with but we don't hate people. We hate false ideologies. And so this should not drive Bible believers to hate and therefore attack verbally or physically those with a different ideology. Sadly, that's what happens on the other side when it shouldn't. But I don't want people to say, I hate group A or B because they don't stand where I stand biblically. We don't hate people. We hate ideologies.
0: Well, I'm glad you said that. I agree with you 100. percent It's a fine line that I straddle uh, when I'm writing in order to present truth bluntly, but and, and, and sometimes I'm deliberately. Um, I was going to say over the top. I don't know if that's if that's fair, but but I will highlight differences. Um, but I'm I'm the last person to, to even though what happens here what happened here yesterday Another. tech it's actually while while we were having a, a a parent meeting by zoom with uh with one of my with one of my son's classes schools uh one of the parents quickly interjected and said this is what i think and now i have to go our whole community is on lockdown terrorists have broken in so so I, and
1: most it, people don't understand that reality and no and refuse to acknowledge that that is how some people have to live and they shouldn't have to live that way. And the more you give credence to ideologies that hate Israel, the more that reality exists.
0: and, And I just said that in order to underscore that on a daily basis, and you've been here and anyone who comes and sees, on a daily basis, there is great coexistence. You come to the grocery store with me and you see Arab, Palestinian Arabs and Israeli Jews shopping together working together um coexisting i had a great conversation with a, a a palestinian arab on independence day about which are the best hamburgers in jerusalem and now that doesn't mean we love each other but we can certainly coexist and, and and i don't ever want to come across as being hating of all palestinian arabs or all muslims but but now that you've you've opened that can which is a great which is great and you are a good person to to, to ask this question, pretend I'm a, i I'm a Muslim, any na- nationality, it doesn't matter. And I don't believe what, what you believe about Israel and the significance of Israel and, and, uh, and Jerusalem and the reunification of Jerusalem as central to Israel and the Jewish people and to Christianity. What, what's your best argument to tell somebody who, who's an ardent Muslim why he or she is wrong? Well,
1: first of all, it's my general philosophy that I don't try to tell you to believe anything. I'll just tell you what I believe. Okay. But why do I believe that Jews should be sovereign over Temple Mount, that Jews should have freedom of worship, prayer, Bible study on Temple Mount, as I believe Christians should as well? Yes. It's democratically... And politically, it should be true, in my opinion. I'm not a member of Knesset, because Israel stands for freedom of religion. It's the only place in the Middle East that does so, except there's this big question about about the Temple Mount that should not be there, in my opinion. But to talk to the, the theoretical, hypothetical Muslim that you're talking about, their leaders today tell their people that there never was a temple for the Jews on Temple Mount. But if they will go back less than 100 years in Muslim Correct. writings, Correct. they'll see all the invading armies or occupying armies or scholars or historians up to just a few decades ago, all acknowledged that Solomon's Temple and the Jewish Temple sat there. Now, they may say, we own it now. Okay, we'll argue that point if you want. But they said, we own it now. However, the Jews used to own it. So I've, I remind our listeners, your audience, that the mm-hmm. Arabic word Islam, the definition of the word is submission.
0: Correct. I learned that in we, college.
1: We're in charge now. That's a philosophy. Right. You can like it or not like it and, and argue it as you wish. That's just the definition of the word. Correct. So we're in charge now is a philosophy of the group. Well, we're in charge now of what they'll say of what the Jews used to own until just a few <laughs> decades ago, <Okay? laughs>
0: which they say we'd, we never own. That's a great. Yes.
1: Yes. Yes. So, I don't tell our Muslim friends what they have to believe. I'll just tell them that my Bible, which includes the Christian portion and the Hebrew portion, mentions Jerusalem all the time. Yes. Your Quran never mentions it once.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, you call Al-Aqsa Mosque, and again, translating from Arabic to English, the farthest mosque or the Correct. distant mosque, because Correct. your Quran says that Abram went on the journey to the distant.
0: I'm not, uh, Muhammad.
1: Muhammad went on the journey to the distant place or the farthest place. Well, you could have picked Philadelphia for all I know, but you picked Jerusalem as the definition of the farthest place for a reason because you were trying to establish a claim to the site. But no one can prove what the word. The distant mosque or the farthest place meant. So, to carry on your narrative that this is now the, a holy site for Islam, we decided to put it in
0: parentheses. That
1: means Jerusalem.
0: That's okay. terrific. I, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, uh, not quite the 98 year old, uh, uh, pal, not Palestinian, Islamic document that was published here um verifying that it, that this was where the um temple of solomon stood and if anyone listening wants a copy of that please email me at um inspiration from zion at gmail.com i have a pdf and i'm always glad to share that it's it's important to underscore that fact that you just said um pastor trey let's let's wrap up and focus uh, a, a, a little bit more on the with the bridge building that you and I are both involved. But first you mentioned, you talked about prayer, praying, prayer. When God tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to be a watchman on the wall and and to bless Israel with clear injunctions that this place and and we, his people are important to him. What do they mean to you? Trey Graham on a day-to-day basis.
1: To pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to pray. Um, tell me exactly what you're looking for, I guess. The,
0: the, the peace, of, peace of Jerusalem, being a watchman on the wall, blessing Israel. What, what does that mean? Like, you wake okay. up in the morning. How does that play out in Trey Graham's life? Okay. I mentioned Psalm 122, verse 6
1: already. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The only time in the Bible you are specifically commanded to pray for a city by name. There's multiple times you're called to pray for your city where Ah, you live. Good. But it's never named. The only time it's named is Psalm 122, verse 6. Sha'alu shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So we're commanded to do that. Why does this important to me Well, your organization, Genesis 1, 2, 3 Foundation, is based on that most famous verse, Genesis 12, verse 3. God said to Abram, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. And you could teach it better than I, but as I understand it, there's two different Hebrew words for curse in that verse. And one of them means to diminish or make unimportant. So if you are cursing Israel, You can curse it in the ways that you would immediately think of hateful speech and derogatory speech and revise history, but you can also curse it by just saying it doesn't matter. It's not important. To dismiss it is one of the ways to curse the people in the land of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And I don't tell people that we believe Genesis 12-3 as a church. I tell people we live Genesis 12-3 as a church. We try to bless Israel in lots of ways. Financially, we give to lots of organizations, Christian and Jewish organizations in Israel. We give a, a lot of money from this church every month to Israel. So that's a financial way visiting the land, learning about the land, praying for the land, meeting friends like you, having friends like you come and be speakers in our church. And we bring Israeli guests here often. And I could go down the names. I've already mentioned two of them, Dole yeah. Lippman and Jeremy Gimpel, but I could mention many, many more who come. So we get to not just learn this, we get to live this, we get to be a part of this. And I believe we're seeing the you will be blessed promise of the Lord in reality in our lives.
0: That's great. Thank you. Um, la- last question. You know that this sometimes uh, is a dangerous, well, maybe that's a that's a, uh, a, a harsh word, but we'll go with it. A dangerous place, building bridges between Jews and Christians. Not all Christians agree 100% uh, theologically where you're coming from. Certainly not all Jews um, agree with me and what I'm doing theologically and practically. And we've never discussed this, I don't think, but I get a huge amount of pushback often. Um, and, And it's for a lot of reasons, that's another conversation. But what do you want Jews and Israelis to know and understand about why Israel is significant to you personally, and to Christians in general?
1: I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus lived on this earth as a man for 33 years. He lived what we would today call an Orthodox Jewish life, studying the Bible, which for Christians, you would call it the Old Testament, the Tanakh. That's the Bible he studied. That's the Bible. I believe Jesus is God. So he's the author of the book. But as a man, he was a student of the book. And many of the stories that you read about Jesus in what we would call the New Testament are references to and quotations from what some would call the Old Testament. Easiest example. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law, in the Torah? And this is Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus gave two answers. He said, I'll tell you number one and number two. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Well, that's Deuteronomy 6. That's the Shema. He said, and the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19, last week's Torah portion. So the Jesus that I know lived there, ministered there, taught there, I believe, was murdered there and was resurrected there, and so I want to know about my Jesus, so I want to know about where and how he lived. I often tell people if Jesus had ministered in Tokyo, I'd want to go to Tokyo, but he didn't, so I don't want to go to Tokyo. I spend (laughs) my time in Israel learning about my Bible, who points me to my Redeemer, was a Jewish man who lived a Jewish life. I believe he is God in the flesh, but lived a Jewish life and we ought to study this and learn this and have friends with people like Jonathan Feldstein and others who can help me learn. Because I'm not here to tell you what you have to believe, Jonathan or your listeners. I'm telling you what I believe. Yes. That Jesus is my redeemer and the more I spend time with my orthodox Jewish friends, the better I can understand how my Jesus lived. And then I start to read his words from a Jewish viewpoint in which they were originally given, not a Texan viewpoint or an American Gentile viewpoint. And I better understand who
0: I follow. Awesome. Beautiful. Before I, thank you. Uh, Really great. Um, I want to give you, we've, we've covered a wide range of topics, and I'm really grateful for, for your time, for your insight and candor. Um, before we I wrap up, anything that you want to add that I, that I didn't ask that's on your heart?
1: You just mentioned that you get flack for some of the work that you do, and I'm sorry about that. I say two things to you, Jonathan. Keep going. Don't stop doing what you're doing, which I know you're not going to stop. And to the rest of us, Christians who pursue friendships with Jews, let's be honest. I try to be honest with you every time we talk. I believe Jesus is the Savior. I believe he's Messiah. You know that, and I know that you know that I believe that. Let's be honest about it. Let's don't hide who we are. Let's don't pretend who we are. Let's be honest about who we are while being friends and being respectful of one another. And the work that the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation is doing is very important. And sometimes it's theological and biblical like what we're doing today. And a lot of times, Jonathan, you know better, of course, A lot of times what your organization does, it's not in the realm of theology. It's in the realm of let's help people. Correct. Taking care packages to soldiers. And I was a soldier, so I understand that. Taking care packages to soldiers. Caring for Holocaust survivors. A lot of these what might be called humanitarian projects are very important. And Christians can and should support these projects because it's Caring for people in need, and it's not a theological debate. It's I'm going to give some money, or I'm going to buy a this, or I'm going to support a that because it's just the right thing to do. And so I appreciate what your organization does.
0: Well, I appreciate that comment, and I am grateful for having you on board, not just as a friend and a commentator here now, but but in general, for all your for all your counsel and and feedback and. It's been great, and they continue. Um, Amen. thank you, Pastor Trey Graham, Senior Pastor First Melissa, and uh, and 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 the person who, if you're not coming to Israel with the Runs for Zion, the person who you definitely want to come to Israel with, um, in September and then probably next spring, israel by israelbythebook.com. Uh, let me just wrap up uh, and, and remind uh, our, our listeners who are following on a regular basis, um, this year. Every month, the Genesis One Two Three Foundation has been offering a special gift to listeners. Each month, we provide a special uh, volume, f- which I call "From Jonathan's Bookshelf." This is going to this month because of uh, the significance and the sig- uh, history of modern Israel. I'm going to find you a great book about the history of modern Israel that you're going to want to read. All we ask you do is go to the Inspiration from Zion social media—Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter—like and follow us. And when you comment and share the link to this program, we're gonna select one person at random uh, to do that. We're always grateful to our sponsors. Uh, First of all, the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. Uh, If you're in the area, I've been there. It's awesome what they do. If you are in the area and wanna go and say hi and thank you to them for helping make conversations like this possible, please do. And also to the Coyne family for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all of the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation programs are made possible by donations, so please consider, as Pastor Trey said, joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges. This episode specifically is sponsored by a generous donor who was just here in Israel and attended a barbecue that we did for lone soldiers last week at, uh, on Yom Hatzma'od on Independence Day. And uh, we're going to keep supporting lone soldiers and, and uh, non-lone soldiers, Israelis who, who have families here to support them. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We always love to hear your comments as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any questions. So please be in touch with us, especially if you have questions about Judaism for our, our Ask the Rabbi programs. And finally, and to repeat what I said at the outset, please share this, share this program with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you.